And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that. It scares us. Help us to trust that you're good. Father, we've been uh, preaching through the first three chapters of Genesis now for a couple years. Been through a lot of trauma. Um, we're getting toward the end of the garden story. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody's brain in this room that you'd pump it full of endorphins or something like that. And you'd bring all of the pieces together. And you would help us to see that you really are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, gosh, it's been about... Uh, 25 years now. I, I think uh, some of you know or knew my dad, right? Um, he was like my best friend, loved him immensely. But some of you don't know this, that it was about 25 years ago that he had come downtown to take care of some, some business. And something went terribly wrong. It was then that a group of men assaulted him with knives, stabbed him in the chest, broke his sternum, several ribs. They knocked him unconscious, and then they took a huge sum of money. I was in California at the time, and as my dad lay unconscious at Swedish Medical Center, Lydia, my sister, and I hopped on a plane in California and flew out here to Denver. Dad had lost a lot of blood. He was on life support. And for a time, we really didn't know whether he would live or die. But now I can tell you this. As my father opened his eyes and came back to life off of life support, I have never been so grateful for those violent men with their knives. You see, Dad had gone downtown to see the doctor and something did go terribly wrong. He had a heart attack in the doctor's office. They did knock him unconscious. They did break his sternum and several ribs. They did assault him violently with knives called scalpels. They did take a huge sum of his money, which he gladly paid because they saved his life. They had performed emergency open-heart surgery, removing four clogged vessels, a heart of stone, and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Well, my point is, when you get burned and when you get cut in this world, it makes a huge difference who it is that's holding the knife and why they're cutting you. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve steal from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil God shows up and curses the earth. And then in verse 22, we read the following. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent Adam out from the garden of Eden to work the Adamah, the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword 
a fiery knife that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Well, in verse 23, God sends Adam to work the Adamah until he returns to it, until he realizes that he was made from it, dust to dust and ashes to ashes. Kind of reminds me of what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, where he writes that the wrath of God is revealed in this, that God gave men up, that he delivered them up. The word in Greek is parodidomai, uh, to the epithumia, the, the dreams, the desires of their hearts. That is, he gave them up to their own flesh, their dust. Which also reminds me of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about this guy in the church, you know, who was having sex with his mother-in-law. Remember that? And he was boasting about it. Paul instructs the church to gather and to literally deliver this man up. To deliver up is the Greek word paradidomai. And it's a technical word describing a process of of judgments, related to judgment. Deliver this man up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, let him sin, see his sin, let him rub his face in it, his dust. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Deliver him up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that, so that, so that his spirit, his breath may be saved on the day of the Lord. Do it precisely so that he can be saved. Deliver him up to Satan. Well, you know, Scripture tells us that this whole world is in the power of the evil one, Satan. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. It makes you wonder if all of Adam, all of humanity, has been delivered up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that humanity might be saved in the day of the Lord, which should then make you stop and ask, what is the day of the Lord? Well, you know, my dad was sick with a diseased heart long before the surgeons cut into him with those fiery knives. Actually, it was some chest pains while working the Adama, the ground, that made him go to the doctor in the first place. You know, according to Scripture, we all have diseased hearts. Actually, we are dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision, the uncuttenness of our, of our flesh. You know, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they, they were the walking dead, but just didn't know it. I mean, maybe God cursed the world so they'd see their sin and submit to surgery. You realize that whenever you sin, you simply manifest a deeper problem, right? Whenever you commit a sin, you manifest a deeper problem, and the deeper problem is that you have a heart of stone. You may have lied, you may have cheated, you may have gossiped, you may have had an affair, but the real problem is that you don't love love. 
And your sin just revealed the disease. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, on Sunday, the crowd chanted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, on Friday, they'll all chant, Crucify. Friday just reveals the disease that was there on Sunday. They needed heart surgery. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better to lose one of your members than that your whole body get thrown into Gehenna. You know, Gehenna was the valley to the, uh, let's see, it's to the west and the south of Jerusalem where the Jerusalemites would burn their trash. Better to cut off your arm or finger or member if it causes you to sin than to be thrown to the fire with it. Better to cut off your arm. Only problem is that it's not your arm that causes you to sin. A few chapters later, Jesus says it. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And this is what defiles a man. You see, what you need to do is cut out your heart. (laughs) Cut out your flesh. Cut off your old man. And I doubt that any of us are quite capable of performing that surgery successfully. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, you know, they took a power that did not belong to them. They took the power of judgment, and with it, they tried to make themselves in God's image. But instead of saving themselves, they turned themselves into monsters hiding in the dark. This is the me that I create with my judgments. We've been talking about this old Adam for a long time. My judgments. Uh, The me created out of my disobedience and darkness and death. It's emptiness and lies, chief of which is that I save myself. But through God's grace in Christ Jesus, my Lord and Master, a new me is being formed in the very place of the old me, the me that God creates. It's God's judgment. Mercy, light, life, the edge of heaven, substance and truth. Jesus is the new man the new Adam given to me. But in this world, I'm divided. <laughs> kind of like this. Must have the precious. They stole it from us. Sneaky little orbitses. Wicked, tricksy, false. No. No, master. Yes, precious, false. They will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. You're a liar and a thief. No. Go away! (laughs) I hate you. I hate you. Where would you be without me? Ellen! Ellen! I saved us. It was me. We survived because of me! 
that's Gollum and Smeagol in one body. Do you ever feel divided? Like you have two wills so you don't have free will? You don't have purity of heart? You know, when Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, he named Gollum after the Hebrew legend of the Golem. Golem is Hebrew for unformed substance. And according to the legend, he is the dust without the breath of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In Ephesians and Colossians, Paul tells us, we must put off that old man and put on the new. So you see, I see that I need surgery, but how could I ever even begin to perform such a surgery? Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. He drove out the Adam, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. Now the cherubim surround the throne of God, and they're a sign of his presence. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, a a knife of fire that cuts in every direction. You know, in Scripture, the sword and the fire are both instruments of judgment. The entire world will be judged by fire, and there is a sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The flaming sword is judgment. In Greek, the word judgment is krisis. It's where we get our English word crisis. It means to separate, to cut. The flaming sword is judgment, God's judgment his word. So where is judgment? Right? When is judgment? What is judgment? And who gets judged? I wish I had several days right now, but I have 15 minutes, so this will have to do. Where is judgment? My lovely assistant will help me. This is a picture, here you go, I'll press that for you, ma'am. This is a picture, can you see that, of the garden. Is that in focus? You can see that's, that's a picture of the garden, and in the garden there are trees, the tree of uh, law and the tree of life, and somehow they amazingly become one tree. And here's Adam, old Adam. He's been kicked out into the cursed world. Old Adam is dust, yet it appears he still has a breath, a spirit from God. Well, between Adam and God, between Adam and the garden, between Adam and life is judgment. See it? I drew it myself, the flaming sword. And hey, that kind of reminds me of this. This is a picture of the Holy Land, all right? Remember when the Israelites crossed the Jordan and they entered the Holy Land from the east? Here, show the east. They entered from the east. That's important. They encountered this weird God-man with a drawn sword. Remember that? Between them and the promised land was judgment. And hey, that kind of reminds me of another picture. This is a picture of 
Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded on two sides by the valley of Gehenna to the south and to the west. Scripture says that the fires of Gehenna are ignited by brimstone from the very mouth of God. That's in Isaiah chapter 30. And hey, that kind of reminds me of another picture. This is the new Jerusalem, which we also know of as heaven. Zechariah 2.5 prophesies that God will be a wall of fire all around her and the glory in her midst. Outside of the new Jerusalem is Hades, the outer darkness, those who love and practice falsehood. To get into the city, though, you have to pass through the fire, the consuming fire between old Adam and heaven is judgment, eternal fire. And hey, that reminds me of another picture. This is actually a picture of the tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem. Can you see all of that okay? Inside was the Holy of Holies that contained the law, the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, on top of the law, uh, they would place the blood, the life. And that somehow formed the mercy seat, the throne of God on earth. You entered the temple from the east, and guarding the way was the burning altar and the high priest holding a a machaira, which was like a large knife or a double-edged sword. Worshippers entered the temple with sacrifices, and according to elaborate ordinances, the priest would cut up the sacrifices, carve them up. He would literally perform surgery on the sacrifice. (laughs) Because parts of the sacrifice were to be burned outside the camp as unclean, and parts of the sacrifice were to be offered to God, sometimes the blood even thrown upon the mercy seat. Romans 12, verse 1, Scripture tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And Scripture tells us that Jesus is our high priest. You know, when Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple covering up the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. And when Jesus was crucified, he was uh, crucified outside the camp. Jesus is the heart of God. Come to us. The tree of life, come to us. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the flaming sword that guards the way. He's the sacrifice offered in our place. He bears my body of death to destruction and gives me his body of life. He is the new Adam born in the old Adam. He is being formed in us, the new Adam. But make no mistake, to come home, that old Adam must be cut out and destroyed. For flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Disobedience, darkness, and death are destroyed by mercy, light, and life. My kingdom of lies is destroyed by God's kingdom of truth. My emptiness, destroyed by his Substance, my precious is destroyed in the fires of doom, God's judgment. Adam, mankind, must pass through judgment 
to come home. But now here's something that really confuses people. Space and time don't work the same way on either side of judgment. In reality, the inside is much larger than all the outside. So, heaven, you see, is really the large thing, and hell is really the small thing, about to be consumed by fire and light and life and eternity. And check this out. When you cross from the outside of the city to the inside of the eternal city, when you cross judgment, you go from temporality to eternity, from mortality to immortality, from this age to the new age, from this world to the new world, from time to timelessness. No wonder it gets confusing as to when judgment happens. If you've been around, you'll recognize this picture we've been talking about for a long time. This is time. This is a timeline. We live on this timeline, chronological time. God, however, is not stuck in time. He is I am that I am. And I don't think heaven is stuck in time either. Well, chronological time has a beginning, and it has an end. And Scripture says that Jesus is the beginning and the end. God's judgment comes at the end of time. It's the day of the Lord. It's judgment day. It's the seventh day. Yet in 30 A.D. or 33 A.D., depending on the scholar, Jesus said this. Actually, it was on Palm Sunday. He cried out, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. And I, when I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all people, unto myself. And he was speaking of being crucified on his tree. Now is this world judged. And so you see, judgment happens at the end of time, but judgment came to us in 30 AD. And judgment comes to you now, and you want to see where I put the dot on this line, huh? Judgment comes to you now when you surrender to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Jesus said to the thief on the cross, He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today we'll cross over into the garden. So you see, judgment is the boundary between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. That's where it is. And judgment is the boundary between time and eternity. That's when it is. And judgment is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what it is, who it is. You know, when you read the Old Testament and and it describes uh, judgment day and the day of the Lord, it's really surprising sometimes because you think it's describing Good Friday, and it is. Scripture says that in Christ, we've come to the end of the ages. 
Paul tells the Athenians that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. You see, that man is Jesus. Jesus is the judgment. Jesus said he didn't judge, yet he said all judgment has been given unto him. Jesus himself is the judgment. What I'm saying is that Jesus is that flaming sword. Listen to what he says in John 5, 24. I just don't think we believe the Bible. This is so cool. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Okay, that's life from somewhere else. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When you believe the word, you don't come into judgment because... You've already passed through judgment. Jesus is the word. Scripture says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Machaira, the high priest's knife, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're talking about open-heart surgery here. And nothing, nothing cuts as deeply or as accurately as Jesus Christ and him crucified. To look to the cross in faith is to surrender to God's judgment. For when we look to the cross, what do we see? The judge. Delivered up. Parodidomai. For me. We see perfect love. Endless mercy. And absolute grace. And that is the judgment. That is the standard. That is the knife. And nothing cuts us deeply. For you see, if perfect love is the standard, no lack of love will be tolerated in the kingdom. If endless mercy is the measure, no lack of mercy will be allowed in heaven. If absolute grace is the commandment, no lack of grace will be permitted at all. Jesus said it. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So listen, if you refuse to forgive someone in hell, then you're stuck in hell too. Until that darkness is cut out of you judged out of you by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And to refuse God's grace in Christ Jesus, revealed by his spirit, is to commit what I believe Jesus called the unforgivable sin. You see, the unforgivable sin is to hate forgiveness. And so to rest, to finally rest in the kingdom of grace, you must have the hatred of grace cut out of you. You must be judged. You know, some people seem awfully worried that I may be saying there's no hell. And the irony is that I'm warning warning them that that may be exactly where they're going. (laughs) Jesus said it. The sons of the kingdom get cast into the outer darkness. For as he said, the measure you give is the measure you get. Give hell. That's the measure you get. 
The judgment you pronounce is the judgment you receive. So to refuse to pronounce mercy is to banish yourself from the kingdom of mercy and hide in hell. And yet even death and hell come to an end, according to Scripture. They come to an end in the eternal fire, the fire of God's mercy. In the end, all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All must submit to the surgery, surrender to the fire. And our God is a consuming fire. In Isaiah 66, the great end scene that Jesus quotes in the Gospels, you know, the one that freaks everybody out, so they read it really quick. God says this through Isaiah. He says, all flesh shall come and worship before me. Did you get that? All flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. All flesh. Did you get that? If all flesh is in the city looking out, whose bodies are they looking at in the valley of Gehenna? Well, God says through Isaiah, the men who have rebelled against me. Well, who are the men who have rebelled against God? Read Isaiah. It's every man since Adam. That's who. So do you get the picture? You see, all people will look on all their old bodies of death and worship God from new bodies which contain God's heart. This new Adam will look out on this old Adam. The vessel of mercy will look out on the vessel of wrath. One day, I, Peter Hyatt, will walk out of the New Jerusalem, look into the valley of Gehenna, and see this old body burning in eternal flame, and I'll cry out, oh, thanks be to God who delivered me from that body of sin and death and hell and fear and insecurity and pain and sorrow. Thanks be to God. In Christ Jesus, my Lord, the flaming sword, <laughs> the great surgeon. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, Paul writes this. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. And then he writes, but each in its own order. You see, I think that means in this life, we can surrender to God's judgment or we can run from it. If we surrender, Jesus bears our old man to destruction. Jesus is the scapegoat. And Jesus gives us the new man, his life. Jesus is the spotless lamb. And I think that's what Matthew 25 is all about. So when we believe his judgment, we surrender to surgery, and we receive eternal life now. And then when this old body dies, our soul is already dead. I think that's the second death. That's why I don't have to fear the second death. We've already surrendered the old man. We've already passed through judgment. And we step into eternal ecstasy. We're home. But if we refuse such a great salvation... 
if we run from God's judgment? I suspect yes, we are delivered up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And upon death, we descend into hell. It only begins here. We descend into hell and Hades. Whether it be for a few minutes or billions of years, I don't know. Maybe we come to Christ in in hell. For Jesus descended into hell and led a host of captives free. I don't know. Maybe we're destroyed by the fire as hell is destroyed by the fire. I don't know. Yet even things destroyed in eternal fire, like Sodom, get recreated. You can read about that in Ezekiel 16. Perhaps some never really died in Adam, so they're never really made new in Christ. I don't know. Perhaps some are only vessels of wrath and never had a soul, never had the breath of God. I doubt it, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Romans 11, read this, listen to this. Paul concludes his theological discussion where he talks about vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, the old man, the new Adam, uh, Israel, predestination, judgment. He concludes with this statement. Listen so closely to this statement. For God has consigned all to disobedience. See this, disobedience. That he may have mercy on all. Next line. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, I can't understand how the knife cuts everyone. But I know how it cuts me. I can't comprehend all of God's judgments but I can trust God's judgment. I can't know all about the good, but I know the good. I can't explain everything that the knife does, but I know who the knife is. The knife is Jesus. My father is the surgeon, and the spirit is love. So I I look to the cross, And I see that I can trust God's judgment. And because I trust God's judgment, I can dare to surrender to the surgery. I can say, Jesus, judge the hell out of me. Cut that old man out of me. I don't want it anymore. I want to be one as you are one in the image and likeness of God, one will, free will, Pure heart, undivided. You see? God is one. One love, one fire, one holiness. He's one. And when I see that God is one, I realize that I am two. But when I make myself the judge, I assume that I am one. I judge God and I make him two. Love and not love. I call it justice or holiness or some such thing, but I make it the opposite of love. But hear, O Israel, Scripture says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. God is one. And you see, he's making me one. I'll be one. So I say, God, judge the hell out of me. 
Judge the sin out of me. Judge it out of me. Judge it out of everyone. Forgive everyone. (laughs) Please. Now some people at that will say just what they said to Paul. Well, if God has grace on everyone, why not sin that grace may abound? If that's what you ask, I want you to understand what you're asking. You're asking, why should I love love? Which is to say, I do not love love. Which is to say, I want to go to hell. Which is to deliver yourself up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And sure, you may be saved on the day of the Lord, but why do you want to go to hell? The day of the Lord is now. Salvation is now. You can go home now. You can know him now. You see, this picture that I was drawing reminds me of one other thing. Communion. Here in the, in the sanctuary. And the knife is the word that I just preached. It cut you. Or I should say, he cut you. One Sunday, like six years ago, uh, when my daughter was a child and going through this really difficult time and did not want to have any kind of spiritual experiences, she came to me after the service and I could tell that something had really had affected her. It wasn't the sermon. <laughs> she tuned that out. It was a vision. She said, Daddy, I saw something. I watched as the people came forward to the communion table at the end of the service. And she said, Daddy, I saw these cutters. She didn't know what to just call them. She called them cutters. She said, I saw these cutters and they were just flying through the air. They came out of the walls and they cut people. They like cut off their arms and legs and heads and and limbs. And she said, I watched as these people like hobbled forward to the communion table. And then she said, but daddy, I wasn't scared. Because as they came to the communion table and they took the body and the blood of Jesus, they would bump into each other. They would bump into each other in those places where they had been cut. And when they bumped into each other, they formed one new huge body that could not be hurt. You see, she saw us surrendering the old man and receiving the new man. She was watching judgment. And so Paul writes, I deliver to you what was delivered to me that on the night that Jesus was delivered up, parodidomai, he uses the same, same word. On that night, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. 
take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. You see what I'm saying? This is judgment. And this, this is you. Because it's church, you put this one on top of this one, but because you, this one made you put this one on top of this one, it's probably really this one, but it's you, okay? And when you come to the table, this is what you see. You see the judge delivered up to Satan in your place. You see the judge delivered up to the wrath of God in your place. You see the judge judged for you. You see your judgment is mercy and it cuts. It cuts you. It divides you. And Jesus, in his mercy, he takes that old man and yeah, he bears it to destruction. Crucified with Christ. And he gives you his body and his blood as the new man, the new Adam. That's judgment. God performs surgery and makes you in his image. Imagine if my dad didn't know 25 years ago that the surgeons were good. Imagine if he ran from the surgery and hid his diseased heart in the darkness, in the bushes. Oh, that would be death and hell. Imagine if they chased him. They knocked him down, they strapped him to a table, but he didn't know why they broke his ribs or plunged the knives into his heart. Imagine if he had no faith in the one holding the knife. Oh, that would really be hell. But instead, it was life. It hurt, but it was good. The judgment was good. Come to the table of the Lord. You see, Eve, Eve, he's showing you. He's showing you just what the serpent made you doubt. The judgment of God is good. The judgment of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. In his name, believe the gospel. Amen. While I was preaching, while we were singing, there may have been somebody in your mind, somebody on your heart that you hate. Don't hide in the darkness any longer. Don't run from the judgment. Don't trap yourself in the kingdom of 
unforgiveness, hell. Think of that person now in your mind, maybe a few of them. Do you understand what God has done for you? Then say these words after me in the silence of your heart. Say, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, I forgive. And so come, Lord Jesus. We're ready for Judgment Day. You are Judgment Day. And we love you. Thank you for judging the hell out of us. Because we don't want it anymore. see if you're a Tolkien geek like me, you know that that is the end of the old age and the beginning of the new age. And that's what happens at judgment. In the Lord of the Rings, you see Gollum really becomes like Frodo's Gollum, his old man. And he's destroyed in the fires of doom where the ring that was stolen is destroyed in the fires of doom and Frodo is free. That's what happens at judgment. And this is even more incredible. Somehow in Christ, he does it for us. He bears that sin to destruction, and he gives us himself, his body broken and his blood shed. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, dang, I feel all sorry for old Golem, you know? Well, then forget that clip, okay? Because the Golem, in the end, you will see it. In the end, when you look out of the new Jerusalem on this old body of death, you will see that it's nothing. Your judgments wrote you out of his story. They're nothing. Your disobedience is really nothing. Your darkness is the absence of light, not the presence of something. Your death is the absence of life. Your lies are the absence of truth. Your emptiness is the absence of substance. And now you're full. Now you're one. In Jesus' name, believe that the judgment of God is good. Amen?